BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. There's a bunch of stuff in the news that I wanted to talk about before we kick off our program today. First of all, just some news stuff. Donald Trump has added Alan Dershowitz and Ken Starr to his impeachment team, along with Pam Bondi. Just to refresh your memory, Alan Dershowitz is the guy who has been accused by Jeffrey Epstein's victims of being one of the men who showed up on Rape Island repeatedly. And Dershowitz, in response, said, well, I never took my underwear off when I got those massages. Uh, Ken Starr was the guy who prosecuted Bill Clinton and demanded witnesses be called. I mean, there was a four-year-long investigation. I interrogated all kinds of witnesses. But Ken Starr was kicked out as president of Baylor University because he was doing a, shall we say, bad job of prosecuting sexual assault claims against Baylor University football players, uh, you know, basically of, you know, uh, assaulting and raping women at Baylor University. And so Ken Starr had to leave his job there. And then Pam Bondi, back in 2013, She was the attorney general of Florida. The previous attorney general had started an investigation into Trump University for fraud. She inherited that. And uh, Donald Trump's foundation, he was not yet president. He was, you know, it was 2013. Donald Trump's foundation gave her a substantial campaign contribution illegally. And she dropped the charges, dropped the investigation. So... Somebody tweeted, I guess Dracula and Hitler's ghost were not available. Right. So there's that, number one. Number two, there's something that Lev Parnas said in his interviews with Rachel Maddow that I think are really consequential and would like your help on this. Lev Parnas tells the story of how Donald Trump fired our ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich at least four or five times. Donald Trump kept ordering people around him to fire Marie Ivanovich, and they kept not doing it. And Parnas also says they were afraid that if they, you know, if they kept not firing her, he would fire her with a tweet. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard from White House insiders, and in fact, I'm gonna to get to that part in just a second, that Donald Trump is irrational and gives stupid orders that his staff ignores. 
I mean, this was the essence of the whole anonymous book and op-ed in the Washington Post a couple of years ago. But this raises a really interesting question. Is it possible that the only time Donald Trump tweets something like, you know, firing Rex Tillerson or withdrawing our troops from Syria and, you know, basically stabbing the Kurds in the back, abandoning the Kurds in Syria to death and torture and all kinds of horrible things as Erdogan and his troops go charge in? Is it possible that when he tweets something like that, it's because he gave the order to multiple people around him and they all refused to do it because it was insane. And so he resorts to Twitter to do it. Because remember when he tweeted about how we're pulling our troops out of Syria? The news stories were like, you know, the Pentagon is blindsided. The State Department doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, probably because he pitched it to the Secretary of State or to the Chief Secretary of Defense, and they said, no, you're nuts. I'm not going to do that. And so he just went ahead and tweeted it. Now, if this is the case, what would be fascinating, and this is where I'm asking for your help, would be to compile a list. You can just post these to my Twitter feed. Just tweet it at me, at Tom underscore Hartman, with two N's would be to compile a list of Trump's tweets when, and I, I spent some time this morning looking for them, but it's just like there's so many and it's just, I was just overwhelmed. But, you know, come up with a list of times when Trump has tweeted policy. He has fired somebody. He has proclaimed something. He has tweeted policy. And look back and see if those were always times when the people around him said no. And what really, really brings this to mind is this extraordinary piece in today's Washington Post. There's a book coming out in a couple of weeks, January 21st. A new book is coming out. It's titled A Very Stable Genius, Donald J. Trump's Testing of America. And Carol Leonig and Phil Rucker wrote basically a summary of one of the chapters of that book in today's Washington Post. Now, I'll just lay some of this out for you, and I encourage you to go to WashingtonPost.com and read the entire article. It is shocking. So, when Trump put together his America First thing, Mattis, Tillerson, Cohen, I'm quoting from the article now, feared his proposals were rash, barely considered a danger to America's superpower standing. They also felt that many of Trump's impulsive ideas stemmed from his lack of familiarity with U.S. history and even where countries were located. So they wanted to have a shared language and a shared database between themselves and him. So they put together this kind of PowerPoint presentation with lots of slides and graphics and visuals. This is July 20th, 2017. Mattis was there. This is in a room called the tank, which is, you know, like the sacred room for the generals. And Trump was there. Tillerson was there. Cohn was there. You know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Joseph Dunford was there, Pence was there, Tillerson, if I didn't already say that, Steve Mnuchin and Steve Bannon. And they did this 90-minute presentation where Mattis and Tillerson and Cohen took turns talking about, you know, here's the situation of America and American troops all around the world. And Trump would periodically interrupt them. Here, another quote from the article. 
When they used the word base, it prompted him to launch into, say, how, quote, crazy and how, quote, stupid it was to pay for bases in some countries. We should charge them rent, Trump said of South Korea. We should make them pay for our soldiers. We should make money off everything. Trump proceeded to explain that NATO, too, was worthless. We're owed money. You haven't been collecting, Trump told them. You could totally go bankrupt if you had to run your own businesses. You would totally go bankrupt. So things were kind of going down in flames. The general tries to calmly explain to Trump that NATO allies don't owe the United States rent or anything. And that the NATO alliance not only protects Europe, but protects America. This is what keeps us safe, Mattis said. These are commitments that keep us safe. Trump then, like, changes topics and starts ranting about the Iran deal. It's the worst deal in history, Trump declared. Well, actually, Tillerson says, I don't want to hear it, Trump says. We're getting out of it. I keep telling you. I keep giving you time, and you keep delaying me. I want out of it. And then they, somebody mentioned Afghanistan, and he says, that was a loser war. And he turns to the generals, and he says, you're all losers. You don't know how to win anymore. Trump questioned why the United States, from the article, why the United States couldn't get some oil as payment for the troops stationed in the Persian Gulf. We spent $7 trillion. They're ripping us off. Where's the effing oil? He says, maybe I should remove General John Nicholson. This is the guy who was in charge of U.S. troops in Afghanistan. I don't think he knows how to win, says Trump. Dunford sought to explain that Nicholson hadn't been charged with annihilating the enemy in Afghanistan, but instead with gradually reducing the military presence in the country and trying to train locals to maintain a stable government. Trump replied, I want to win. We don't win wars anymore. We spent $7 trillion. Everybody else got the oil, and we're not winning anymore. Trump was by now in one of his rages. He was so angry that he wasn't taking many breaths. I wouldn't go to war with you people. You're a bunch of dopes and babies. Now, at this point, these generals in the room are like getting seriously upset. I mean, this is the guy who, in 1968, got out of going to Vietnam by saying he had bone spurs. They note the more perplexing silence was from Pence, who should have been able to stand up to Trump. Instead, one attendee said, quote, he's sitting there frozen like a statue. Why didn't he stop the president? Another person said, a total deer in headlights. So Trump is ranting at them, and Tillerson says, no, that's just wrong. Mr. President, you're totally wrong. None of that is true. Tillerson's dad and uncle had both volunteered for World War II. Tillerson says, the men and women who put on uniforms don't do it to become soldiers of fortune. That's not why they put on the uniform and go out and die. They do it to protect our freedom. There was silence in the tank. Trump gets up and walks out. And Tillerson turns to the group and says, he's an effing moron. They note in the article that tank meeting had so thoroughly shocked the conscience of military leaders that they tried to keep it a secret. This is the guy who's president. When Nancy Pelosi says that he's a danger to America and a danger to world peace, she is not exaggerating. That is not hyperbole. That's not something that she's saying to try and get people in favor of impeachment. This guy should not be running our country. We and the entire world are in danger every day that Donald Trump stays in the White House. Todd in Santa Ana, California. Hey, Todd, what's up? If Trump withholding aid to Ukraine is illegal and Parnas worked with Giuliani in any capacity, why don't the Southern District file criminal charges against Giuliani? 
because that would have to come out of Bill Barr's office, and he's not going to do it. He's, you know, as William Sapphire used to call him, cover-up General Barr. He covered up the Iran-Contra investigation. You know, he shut it down and, and covered up the whole crime, you know, on behalf of George Herbert Walker Bush and Ronald Reagan, and now he's doing it on behalf of Trump. This guy is, he's a Republican hitman. He, he comes in and he covers up for Republican criminals. That's what's going on. Todd, thanks for the call. Good question. Nora in Sandy, Oregon. Hey, Nora, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? I was realizing, duh, the senators have to go back for the impeachment hearing. So the senators that are actually running for office and campaigning currently are progressive presidential senator campaigners aren't actually going to be very available for campaigning. Right, for the next couple of weeks. Is that something that people have thought about that i mean that leaves biden and bloomberg out there running around on jets going everywhere um yeah it's you know uh, specifically senators warren and sanders you know the the leader i mean you know, michael bennett will be stuck right. in dc too but uh, i don't think anybody's given him any any kind of a chance yeah you know it, it is what it is nora there's nothing that we can do about it i mean they're, they're probably going to have to crank up their fundraising and their and their media buys and their surrogates are going to be out in larger numbers you got julian castro campaigning on behalf of elizabeth warren and you've got ro Khanna campaigning on behalf of bernie sanders and they're probably going to be doing a lot more individual presentations and, and in fact they may even be bringing in i'm sure they'll be bringing in additional surrogates you know on top of that so you know we'll see what happens nora good point thanks for calling and pointing it out good talking to you diane in waco texas hey diane what's up remember back when the ukraine scandal first came out the whistleblower went to the ig and the ig went to what's his name william ball yeah Okay, William Barr did nothing. He dismissed it. Okay, but right before the impeachment thing happened, was going on, the OAG, I think it was, came out and announced that what Donald Trump administration did, what the White House did, rather, was against the law. Right, that was and the so, GAO, yes. Yeah, okay, okay. Government anyway, Accountability so Office. Barr dismissing that whistleblower complaint and that's ignoring it, can he be held accountable for that? Well, you know, in... In a, in a good world, can, can Bill Barr be held accountable? The problem is that the person who would hold Bill Barr accountable would be the attorney general, and he is the attorney general. I mean, he's the chief law enforcement officer in the country. You can't go above him other than the president himself, and he's unlikely to hold Bill Barr accountable for anything either. So yeah. I think this is, you know, it's like with corrupt cops, you know, when they get away with it or corrupt judges, they get away with it, they get away with it until, you know, a subsequent administration comes along and looks back at what happened. And I don't even think that that's likely. But, you know, Lev Parnas on Rachel's show, she said, you know, why are you doing this and who are you most afraid of? And, and he said he was most afraid of Bill Barr. Yeah, I heard. Anyway, that was just all I wanted to ask you, and I thank you for your information. Okay, thank you, Diane. Great talking thank with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jerry in Santa Cruz. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. In order to actually remove Trump via this impeachment trial, it seems to me that evidence needs to be admitted in the form of a testimony and documents, and that in order to do that, a handful of Republican senators need to vote in favor of it. My question is... Do the respective states of the union have the power to impeach
impeach their respective senators now that they've taken the oath, the special oath to be faithful as jurors, and if they violate the oath by, for instance, saying that there won't be any evidence admitted. Right. I'm not sure the answer to that question. I would guess that it would depend on the individual state constitutions and if they provided any, if they had any provision in their state constitutions. The thing that makes me think it's not possible is that these are federal offices. These people are elected to federal office. So if they were to be impeached, they would have to be impeached by the U.S. House and the Senate, I believe. You know, I might be wrong on that, but, but, I, but I, you know, none of them are going to get impeached for not doing their job. You know, the worst that will happen to them, and frankly, it's something that should happen to them, is that they won't get reelected. I wonder what, how to make the, the senators uh, critically aware that they have a threat of impeachment from their states. Yeah, I don't know. Jerry, thanks for the call. Matt, Milwaukee. Hey, Matt, what's on your mind today? I don't know why they're not talking about it on the news, and it's kind of uh, bothering me. I don't think that if you just wanted to have announced an investigation, that obviously would help him politically, help Trump, you know, bring down Biden and everything. But after that, then what? Why did he need his attorney general, Giuliani, uh, his ambassador, and Rick Perry, and all these people just for that? I don't think it was just that. I think that he, he wanted to get text messages. I think he wanted to get emails, stuff that he couldn't get by warrant here when they're over there in Ukraine doing this. Stuff that he might not even be able to get over here because he needs a FISA warrant. You know, ever since Edward Snowden told us what the government's collecting, I see a great potential on what Trump's thinking he could do to people. And it, it's frightening. I mean, the pictures. They could get, what, what if a Hunter Biden wanted to send a, a, a dick pic to his girl? They could grab that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Uh, apropos of your question, though, I think it's, it's an important question. And this is the one that Gordon Sondland brought up. I be, I'm pretty sure he was the one who testified to this before the House, House of Representatives, who said that, you know, Donald Trump was not actually interested in there being a real investigation of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden mm. and Burisma. What he was interested in that. was having the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, announce to the world that they were launching an investigation. And if you look at, I mean, Hillary Clinton's emails, right? That just got resolved yes. two weeks ago. Two weeks yes, ago, yes, Bill Barr's Department of Justice finally said, oh, well, there's nothing there. That was three years after the election. So, yes. so what Trump knew from, you know, and, and probably knew well before two weeks ago, was that basically James Comey had taken down Hillary Clinton or had made Donald Trump president simply by announcing an investigation. He didn't have to announce any wrongdoing. That All it took was the smoke. You don't need the fire. And the smoke is if, if, easy. If I, the fire is a lot harder. Yes. If, if I may, Tom, I agree with you. He wanted the, the announcement first. But if that didn't take down Biden, and as you know, sometimes you, you throw some kind of a scandal out there, it brings down the poll numbers, and then eventually they rise again, and it kind of loses its, its power. Right. He could have been gathering the stuff. I mean, and, and of course, if Joe Biden gets knocked out of the primary from that, he doesn't need that anymore. But he was going to need other things. He was going to need the, the server thing. I really think they were going to manufacture. Do you think they have the capability to 
to manufacture emails, is to f- manufacture a server. Oh, here it is, Democratic server. Look at all this corruption on here. They've yeah. got to have computer experts. No, it makes perfect sense, Matt. And and I think that you're probably right, that, that they were not just looking for the announcement, but anything else that they could get that they could you know, put out in dribs and drabs, and particularly whenever the news cycle was going against them, would be a value. But I, I would go beyond that. I would say I don't think that they needed to actually to get anything. All they needed was to be able to have somebody who is a, in a position of authority, Bill Barr, for example, to go in front of the microphones and say, you know, like six months down the road or three months before the election, if Biden's the nominee, and say, well, we've got a new lead here. We're, we're now looking into whether or not, you know, uh, Joe Biden was uh, throwing puppies out of second floor windows in, in uh, downtown Ukraine and his, his son Hunter was, you know, dropping them out of fifth floor windows. And, you know, it, they would they would come up with something. So uh, so I think I think we're yeah. both right on this. But anyhow, th- thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call, Tom. Sure. To piggyback briefly on uh, what you were just talking about, uh, Malcolm Nance has said in the last couple of days that one of the objects of hacking emails and into other people's computers is to get a whole long stream of data or individual messages. And then your experts will get a sense of the style and the format of the people they're hacking. And then they can insert fake material here and there where they think it'll do the most damage and then release it. And without professional analysis, the average person won't be able to tell what's real and what isn't. That's a good Um, point. Yeah, but as far as uh, how to define a conservative, I believe there was a Supreme Court justice who once opined that your right to swing your fist ends where the other fellow's nose begins. Mm -hmm. And it's been my experience in life that conservatives believe that their freedom begins where the other fellow's nose ends. And that they're always looking to punch somebody out and and almost always to punch somebody down. They rarely punch up. But it's because right. they're all bullies and they're looking for somebody to beat up all the time. That's, that certainly has become the posture that the Republican Party has adopted over the last few years. And and you see it writ large in the way that Jim Jordan and, and Devin Nunes and, and uh, you know, some of these other Doug Collins were behaving in the House impeachment inquiries. It, you know, it was very much bully-like behavior. Spot on, George. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the Senate. And what's going to be particularly interesting is how much of the Senate deliberations and discussions we don't get to hear under these new rules from Mitch McConnell to basically put everything on the QT. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Mitch McConnell is going to bury this thing as deep as he possibly can. The question is, how deep is that? 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. 
And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Congressman Ro Khanna is on the line with us, taking your calls. Congressman Khanna is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. And you can tweet him at Rep. Ro, R-O, Khanna. Congressman, welcome back. Great to be back on, Tom. And thanks so much for being here with us in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting. You know, before we pick up the calls, I'm just curious, what's on the top of your mind right now? What do you think are the most consequential things going on? Oh, and I do have a question for you, uh, a specific question. Uh, Lev Parnas, in his interview with Rachel Maddow, said that he was telling the story about how Trump tried to fire Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch four or five times, once in front of Parnas himself. And each time Trump's people refused to do it because they knew it was just like a bad idea and stupid and whatever. And Parnas said they were the thing that they were afraid of was that he would do it by tweet. And that suddenly caused, you know, the penny drop for me when he said that. I, it was like... Because remember when he tweeted that we were pulling out of Syria and the Pentagon yeah. was like, we didn't know this. And the State Department was like, we didn't know this. I think that probably every time Trump has tweeted a policy thing, firing Rex Tillerson was another one. Every time he has tweeted a policy statement, it's because he's tried to get it past the adults in the room. And they've said, no, Donnie, you can't do that. It would be stupid. It would harm America's national security. It would be destructive. And so he goes ahead and does it on Twitter anyway. And if that's the case, then uh, that's a story, in my opinion, if that's the case. Well, I'm curious your thoughts on that. And also, Tom, you know, I think you're on. absolutely right. I mean, I think we've seen this time and again on his foreign policy initiatives in particular. He has pushed back he doesn't know how to navigate that pushback, and so he does something uh, on Twitter, basically declaring policy. And there are two problems with it. Sometimes, even if his instinct is better than his advisors, which is let's withdraw, by doing it over Twitter, there's no responsible plan, there's no effective strategy, and it's sort of the implementation is horrible. And other times where he's got horrendous instincts, you know, he's bypassing all the checks. And it, it, the point you make is a really good one, because it's not just that this president has bypassed the checks of two chambers of Congress, of a, the checks and balances of the congressional branch. We also, because we're the most powerful country in the world and don't want power concentrated in one individual, have a lot of checks on the president within the executive branch. And this president has totally subverted any of the checks that most other presidents uh, believe in within the executive branch. Yeah, it's, it's spooky stuff. Vicki in Woodenville, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. We're very familiar with all of Bernie's policies that he's proposing. I don't think they need to be continued to be repeated. I think what we need to do is start looking at the years of Trump's record to confront. And specifically, uh, like an example would be all the diplomats that he has not replaced. And therefore, we don't have that arm of being able to work internationally, diplomatically with these people. So we have that lever to be able to interact with our 
alliances and our other people in other countries. So I don't understand why we don't confront the issues around Trump's record, especially when, like, the news is talking about what's going on between Elizabeth and Bernie and, you know, who's what, and they're looking for conflict. Well, there's a lot of conflict that we need to aim at the opponent, Trump. So what is your opinion? Well, Vicki, I completely agree with you. I mean, we need to talk about this Trump's reckless actions that may get us into another war in the Middle East and how Senator Sanders would prevent that. But your point is a very good one about his uh, total gutting of the State Department and of uh, career foreign officers. And let me tell you why this matters. There was a question at the debate uh, that CNN asked about, well, what would you do uh, to prevent ISIS from reemerging if we pull our troops out of Iraq? Well, one answer should be that in Mosul, which uh, no longer has an ISIS presence, why isn't the United States with USA not working on some form of reconstruction of giving hospitals and roads and bridges? The only thing that's happening is UAE is giving $50 million for the construction of a mosque. And Trump has no strategy, no vision, because he doesn't have the apparatus in place on the type of diplomacy or work that would actually make America more safe and prevent the rise of terrorism. Uh, And there's going to be that whole approach needs to be challenged. David in Buffalo, New York, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, Congressman. Hi, Tom. I just I noticed when they had the swearing in ceremony, the chief justice had his hand on the Bible when he swore in, but yet the senators did not use the Bible at all. And I just wondered, why was that? Well, David, I don't know what I was sworn in. I swore in uh, putting my hand on the Constitution. I think different people get to swear in on different uh uh, text that means something to, for them. Some of them swear in on the Bible. Some can be on a religious, uh, on a different religious text. Others, con- the Constitution. And technically, you don't even have to swear in on a on a book. It's not required. Yeah, they, and and he was doing all hundred of them at a, at one time. So I think that that's probably why. Steve in Zimmerman, Minnesota. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. I'm wondering how is it that. Kevin McCarthy can stand up in front of the microphones and call into question the integrity of Lev Parnas when he had no problem taking money from Lev Parnas. And I'm wondering, is there any way we can check to see all these other Republican representatives and where they're being influenced by outside money? Dave, that's a good point. We should definitely look at where the funding is coming from. I will say this, Kevin McCarthy was on the floor making all of these excuses for Trump, and then Pelosi uh, got up afterwards, and she was very appropriately tough because Doug Collins had spoken right before Kevin McCarthy, and Doug Collins, of course, had said that all Democrats love terrorists, and so Pelosi started her remarks saying, well, we accept your apology. But the reality is that the shameless rhetoric in some of these cases, I've never, I mean, it's even topped what the Republicans did during the Obama years. I mean, it's just, some of it is just awful. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, listening on X-Ray FM. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hey, good day, Tom and Congressman Khanna. Thank you for the town hall. Congressman Khanna, although we have a self-serving grifter who wants to be king in the White House, I do feel we're getting close to the scene in The Wizard of Oz when the curtain falls down and we'll see, just like the wizard, that this wannabe emperor has no clothes. And I think by Bernie being part of the impeachment trial, he can use that as a platform to draw a contrast between himself and what a fraud Trump is. And the more Bernie talks about putting people to work in good-paying union jobs and keeping money in people's wallet with Medicare for all, the better. 
But the one other issue that Bernie could uniquely serve the country in his campaign by taking on, in my opinion, Congressman, is getting the GOP elephant out of our ballot box. And that would mean calling for a 2020 election without electronic voting machines. Congressman Khan, is this something that is even in the realm of possibilities in the Bernie campaign? Well, Jeff, I appreciate your pointing out what Bernie is for, which is letting people keep more of their money so it isn't going to premiums, having strong unions and and, and good-paying jobs. That's the essence of Senator Sanders' message. And he is for paper ballots. I mean, the House has passed the bill, the first H.R. 1, called for paper ballots verification in every precinct in this country. I mean, you could have electronic machines, but you had to keep a paper ballot so that any vote could be verified. And that has been caught up in the Senate. McConnell hasn't allowed it for a vote. Senator Sanders certainly supports paper ballots. Susan in Albuquerque, New Mexico, watching Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Thank you both for providing all the information and education. I have a question that since Trump has been impeached for withholding funds from the Ukraine, can that be added to his charges, the uh, money that he has withheld from Puerto Rico for, that was, has been allocated for disaster relief? So I completely oppose the president's decision. I think it's morally outrageous for this president to not be helping Puerto Ricans with the earthquake and not having helped sufficiently with the past hurricanes. I do think it's different, though, as callous, as morally suspect that decision is. It's not as blatant a violation of the Constitution as in Ukraine, where he withheld the aid for his own political benefit, to benefit his own campaign. And so the charge of impeachment was not just for the president's callousness, but it was for his actual breaking of the law. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on how we might deal with this? I mean, it seems to me like Trump is withholding, I believe, billions of dollars from Puerto Rico. And uh, in my opinion, he's doing this out of pure racism. I mean, we had people speak up in the caucus, one of them almost in tears, talking about people dying, they're American citizens, and we're not releasing the aid. And we need to pass, I think the House should immediately pass something directing the president to do it, and the Senate should do that, and then to flex our power. Congressman, in our final 20 seconds here, what do you see coming in the next week? What should we be keeping our eye on? There are going to be more efforts, uh, Tom, to, to make sure that we're restricting the president's ability to get us into war in Iran. You know, there was just a report that apparently 11 troops were injured in the Iranian attack. The president wasn't transparent about this. We need to make sure that we, we don't escalate. And then there is going to be uh, uh, further efforts on infrastructure. The House is going to be taking that up. We're going to continue to do work, even as the Senate has uh, impeachment. Wonderful. Congressman Khanna, thanks so much for dropping by. Thank today. you. Great Appreciate talking. it. Yep. My pleasure. Congressman uh, Ro Connick. Jerry in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Jerry, what's on your mind today? Who is paying Rudy Giuliani for all his uh, legal work? Well, Lev Parnas paid him, Europe. I believe, a half million dollars or uh, some substantial six-figure amount of money. And that money that Lev Parnas paid Rudy Giuliani with apparently came from this Ukrainian oligarch who's hiding out in Austria, although the exact source of it is a little sketchy. 
Parnas also, you know, illegally donated a couple hundred thousand dollars to one of uh, Donald Trump's super PACs. That's what he's being charged with. That's what he was arrested for. But I find it bizarre that Giuliani is running around saying that he's in the employ of Donald Trump when Donald Trump is not paying him. But Lev Parnas was paying him and supposedly Lev Parnas works for him. It, just the whole thing is bizarre. And, you know, I suspect that we're going to learn more about this as time goes on. Thanks a lot for the call, Jerry. Mark in Philadelphia. Hey, Mark, what's up? Uh, my comment is he probably hired Alan Dershowitz to drive the Bronco down Pennsylvania Avenue. To drive the what uh, down Pennsylvania Avenue? The Bronco. Oh. Alan Dershowitz, didn't he do the... Oh, that's thing? right, O.J. Yeah, I got it. I'm sorry. Maybe he's <laughs> Took me a minute. with a Bron Bronco chase. Anyhow, my question is, doesn't the House of Representatives still have the power to impeach other elected officials, like a vice president or attorney general? Yes, any federal official. Yes. I mean, no matter how this works out with President Trump, I mean, they could, they could impeach Pence or Pompeo or even Rick Perry, right? Or Barr. Yeah, Perry's no longer impeachable because he's no longer in office. He resigned as soon as the, uh, the Ukraine stuff started to, you know, hit the fan. Anybody, on, anybody on the federal pay payroll who might be involved in this conspiracy or perjured himself or, or obstructed justice can be impeached after this. That's correct. That's correct. It's just extremely unlikely. I mean, I, I think there's only been something like 15 impeachments that made it all the way to a trial in the Senate in the history of the Republic. It's very, very rare. There's been one, you know, there's been one serious effort at a Supreme Court justice. There have been now three efforts at a, at a president. And then there's, I think the rest of them have been mostly uh, appeals court judges. Okay, but we still have the power to do it. That's what Yes, I we to still know. have the power to do it. So you can push for it. Thanks a lot for the call, Mark. Good to hear from you. But where it gets really interesting is in the states. Now, you know, because there's a bunch of state senators or, you know, federal senators representing their states up for re-election. Arizona. It's Martha McSally, right? Is the Republican there? Yeah. Well, 50% of Arizonans think Trump should be impeached or removed from office. Only 48% say no. Uh, this might be a little problematic for Ms. McSally. In Colorado, Cory Gardner is the uh, loyal Trump toady. Coloradans want Trump removed from office 55 to 42. I think whoever ends up running against Cory Gardner has a pretty damn good chance. In Iowa, it's 48-49. I don't know how that's going to affect Joni Ernst. In May, Susan Collins. 58% of Mainers think Trump should be removed from office by the Senate. 58%, only 39% of Mainers think Trump should not be removed from office. Now, you have the exact opposite in Alabama, where Doug Jones is running for re-election. Unless the uh, Coase says, unless Republicans renominate Roy Moore, Doug Jones is a goner. In Alabama, only 37% of Alabamans, if I'm saying that right, think that Trump should be removed from office. 61% say no, don't, don't remove him from office. Gary Peters is up for re-election, Democrat in Michigan. Michiganders, 50 percent say remove Trump from office, 48 percent say don't. What a time that we're living through. I mean, I just find this, this moment in history singularly amazing. Literally, we've never had somebody like this as president of the United States, somebody pathological, somebody this essentially corrupt and, dis and destructive. I mean, you know, it was, certainly we've had corrupt presidents in the past, but I don't think we've ever seen anything like this.
I think this thing about Trump tweeting to get around people around him trying to prevent him from breaking the law or doing something stupid or sabotaging America's defense interests, as he did when he uh, tweeted that we were pulling our troops out of Syria, I think that's a big deal. Jason in Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Jason. Hello. Yeah, I was saying the reason why I'm a Democrat, not a Republican, is how the Republicans treated Clinton in the, the impeachment proceedings. While, yeah, Gingrich and Livingston were having affairs at about the same time that Clinton was doing a thing with Monica. I'm thinking, nope, can't go there. And what we have on Mr. Trump is about a thousand times worse than anything that Clinton ever did. Yeah, and it turns out that every single one of the men who are leading the impeachment of Bill Clinton in the House of Representatives, Bob Livingston, Bob Barr, Newt Gingrich, every single one of them literally was getting it on with a mistress on the side during the time that they were impeaching Clinton for that. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, hypocrisy is like writ large in this party. Kent in Amstead, North Carolina. Hey, Kent, what's up? I started watching the uh, Michael Moore, um, Where Should We Invade Next movie. Isn't that a great movie? As, yeah. Well, I got as far as France, and I started thinking about what may take place uh, in the Senate in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And it made me think that the future and fate of this young democracy may be riding on what John Roberts does or doesn't do as the presiding Supreme Court justice in that place. And apparently, if the Democrats request it, he can invoke a oath of fidelity to make sure that the senators that take the oath that they'll be impartial and listen to the evidence mm -hmm. and witnesses, that if they will have already violated that oath, i.e. Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, Moscow Mitch, that they can be dismissed. And hmm. if he rules that uh, for the senators that have already dug their heels in with the verdict of acquitted and uh, not removed, yeah. they cannot override his decision to dismiss jurors, just like any other trial in America, yeah. where a unfit juror is dismissed for a prejudicial outlook. Comment. And the question is, uh, apparently, the Democrats have to request this when they do the rules. They may try, yeah. Kent, but I, I can't. I can't imagine that John Roberts would do that. He, uh, th this guy is a partisan Republican. John Roberts got to where he was. In part, he used to work in the Reagan administration. There's a whole chapter about him in my book, uh, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. He used to work in the Reagan administration. And then in 2000, when the Bush campaign sued Al Gore, the Gore campaign, and, and sued the United States government in the Bush v. Gore case, saying that if, if the vote in Florida wasn't immediately stopped, it would, quote, cause irreparable harm to plaintiff George W. Bush, end quote. John Roberts, John Roberts went down to Florida to help teach the guys who were going to be arguing before Justice Rehnquist, Chief Justice Rehnquist, how best to get on his good side, because Roberts used to clerk for him. And that's why George W. Bush made John Roberts Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, since then, John Roberts is now trying to be an institutionalist and try to be all, you know, official and formal and stuffy and thoughtful. And, but, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the guy is, is a Republican. 
And, you know, anybody who, and particularly anybody who was that deep in bed with the Reagan administration, I just have no, no faith in at all. But we'll see, Kent. No doubt the Democrats will bring it up. We'll see. Thanks a lot for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. It's a new year, and wrinkles are so last year's news. But with every passing year, we do look older. But now that's all changed, thanks to Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It's magic in a bottle. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. Just apply this uh, powerful serum to problem areas, and within minutes, voila, new younger you. And the best part, no surgery or Botox. It's all natural. Simply put, I'm blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with Plexiderm for smoother, younger-looking skin in minutes. And it goes on clear so nobody even knows you're using it. Leave your under-eye bags and wrinkles behind with Plexiderm. Go to Plexiderm.com and use my code HARTMAN with two N's for 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. That's right, half off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-741-7998. Again, that's 1-800-741-7998 or visit Plexiderm.com today and use the code Hartman at checkout. Welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you. And not only did Rick Perry's buddies, Michael Bleiser and Alex Cranberg, not only did these guys get a contract to drill for oil and gas in Ukraine, two of Rick Perry's big donors, but the bid that they made to, to Ukraine, the amount of money that they offered Ukraine as a percentage of the revenue that they would get from the, from the gas and oil that they're drilling out was lower than a bid than any of the other people are bidding. In other words, Ukraine screwed themselves. They chose the lowest bidder, and, you know, and, and it should have been the highest bidder because it's, it's, it's money coming into the country, not going out of the country. And then there's another piece to this. I just want to get this rant out. Right. There's also a cult that has formed within the Republican Party around Trump. And now, you know, the latest shtick is, uh, oh, you know, it's it's just a phone call. Well, no, it's not just a phone call. This is this is something that's been going on for a year, maybe longer. This is a long con. This is bribery and extortion. Let's just call it exactly what it is. And then here, uh, Seema Verma is the uh, person who's the director of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Your Medicare and well, our collectively, our nation's Medicare and Medicaid dollars at work, right? And she's hiring all these people who were, you know, this one guy used to be a consultant, an Indiana-based consultant to Mike Pence. Oh, excuse me, uh, Seema Verma used to be an Indiana-based consultant to Mike Pence, and one of her buddies, Marcus Barlow billed $425,000 for a year's work as a consultant to Seema Verma for personal brand and strategic communication support. Millions and millions of dollars going to, to Trumpsters and Pensters. I mean, it's just, it's like, what has happened? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Treason and Betrayal, The Rise and Fall of Individual One by Kenneth Ford McCallion. This is from the prologue. 
It was a gray overcast day in Washington on January 20th, 2017, the day that Donald J. Trump was sworn in as 45th president of the United States. The weather matched the mood of the majority of Americans who had voted for Hillary Clinton, but whose candidate was denied the election as a result of an anachronistic electoral college system, a lackluster Clinton campaign that had ignored key battleground states such as Michigan and Wisconsin, and of course substantial help from the Russians. But the most significant assault on American democracy did not result from the illegal hacking and cyber attacks by Russian agents on our electoral system and social media. Rather, it came from Donald Trump's full-scale assault on American ideals and values, which had long been this country's most powerful weapon in its arsenal of democracy. In his grim inauguration speech, Trump basically announced the end of American exceptionalism, the hallowed concept and conviction that the United States has a special mission and place in history. Instead of extolling the virtues of our democracy and calling upon its citizens to raise the torch of liberty in every corner of this country and around the world, Trump took the cynical view that the United States was no better or worse than Russia or any other authoritarian country, and that all our government should be doing is to put America first by concentrating on building our country's economic wealth over all other considerations, and by not worrying about other concerns such as human rights or even democratic rights and freedoms around the world. Trump's denouncement of America's commitment to liberty and justice for all was a frontal attack on the guiding principles forming the bedrock of our democracy and America's faith in itself and in its transcendent mission. The Declaration of Independence had been a clarion call that resonated not only on this continent, but around the world, declaring that the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was the cherished goal of all Americans and freedom-loving people the world over. Now, Trump was seeking to extinguish that fire by declaring that America was no longer the beacon of liberty and that every country, especially Russia, should be permitted to do whatever they wanted in their own country and its own sphere of influence. And that if they dismembered neighboring countries or slaughtered their own people who were fighting for greater civil and human rights, that this was of no importance to the United States. In other words, Trump was articulating precisely what Putin and others in the Kremlin wanted to hear which is that Trump would give them the green light to rebuild the Russian empire without fear of opposition or retaliation by the U.S. In doing so, Trump was demonstrating that he was a traitor to the traditional American democratic ideals. The enduring concept of American exceptionalism dates back to French writer Alexis de Tocqueville's reflections on America in his 1835 work, Democracy in America, where he concluded, quote, the position of the Americas is therefore quite exceptional and it may be believed that no democratic people will ever be placed in a similar one." End quote. Abraham Lincoln echoed this theme of American uniqueness when he noted in his Gettysburg Address in 1863 that one of the things that sets us apart from all of the countries in history is the sacred duty of the United States to ensure that the government of the people, of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. Since the end of the Civil War and up until January 20th, 2017, the idea of American exceptionalism has infused the rhetoric of virtually every modern president and political leader. In April 1917, near the end of the First World War, President Woodrow Wilson exhorted Americans to fulfill the country's destiny to make the world safe for democracy. In his State of the Union address in January 1941, when the future of liberal democracies in a world war against fascism hung in the balance, 
President Franklin Delano Roosevelt sent a message to its besieged Democratic allies around the world, reassuring them that, quote, we Americans are vitally concerned in your defense of freedom. We are putting forth our energies, our resources, and our organizing powers to give you the strength to regain and maintain a free world. This is our purpose and our pledge, end quote. 58 years ago, in his inaugural speech on 19, in January 1961, President John F. Kennedy reminded Americans that it was our country's fun, fundamental duty to protect human rights at home and around the world. He pledged that Americans would bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure that survival and the success of liberty. Ronald Reagan inspired us with his soaring rhetoric about America being a shining city on the hill, a beacon for freedom, hope, and liberty that was and always will be the model and example for all the world. President Obama in April 2009 publicly announced, acknowledged America's, quote, extraordinary role in leading the world toward peace and prosperity, end quote, while cautioning that such a lofty goal could only be achieved through effective partnerships with other countries. He also often reminded us that America is at its core a good and caring nation that must work tirelessly in the cause of democracy and human rights all around the world. With Trump, this powerful concept of American exceptionalism, which has been enshrined in our nation's psyche for almost 200 years, was declared to be dead and buried, or so Donald Trump and his enablers would like us to believe. In the immortal words of Stephen Colbert, Trump, in his easily forgettable inaugural speech, basically compared America to a dumpster fire. America's long-standing mission to preserve and protect the causes of democracy, freedom, and human rights around the world had, according to Trump, virtually devastated the country. Treason and Betrayal is the book. John in Los Angeles. Uh, hey, John, what's up? Yeah, Tom, I didn't know if you saw Rachel Maddow's show. It was all about the corruption and stuff. You know, they, they, they keep claiming that they're going over there to and holding back the Javelin missiles. Right. and stuff, you know, because of corruption over there. They actually sent Rick Perry over with, over there with four names to put onto the board for the Ukrainian oil company. And they turned around and wound up, wound up with a uh, bid that came in millions of dollars for the Ukrainians cheaper than what some of the other bids come in at right perry so perry basically w went over there and and did a hustle i mean he he said to them you know you you want your javelin missiles you want your military aid then give my yeah. friends this oil contract give my donors this oil contract it's like oh my god this is look at 19 people went to jail from the nixon administration 19 people as i recall and people went to jail during the reagan administration too i mean it's like republican administrations are just insanely corrupt it's, well, it's, now we're understanding also that wasn't only the uh, Javelin miss missiles, it was also humanitarian aid. And oh the legality of that is in question right now, and I hope that they find them guilty. Yeah, yeah. This goes way beyond, you know, one phone call. Although that one phone call was damning enough. Michael, thank you. Steve in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Steve, what's up? Uh, hello, Mr. Harden. With all the charges pending against the president, shouldn't he be disqualified from running again? Well, if he gets impeached, the Constitution says that once you've been impeached, you may never again run for any office. So, 
Uh-huh. You know, in fact, it says that you may not enjoy profit under the United States. And I don't I doubt that it's ever been adjudicated. I don't know how how that could be interpreted. But I was wondering if that would mean that you can't even do business in the United States. But I mean, uh-huh. you look it up. It's uh, as I recall in. Well, I'd have to go back and look at the Constitution. I don't want to just pull it out of the top of my head. But uh-huh. but it, it says that it says. So if he is impeached, he will not only have to leave office, but he'll never be able to run for any other office again. Thanks a lot for the call, Steve. Sam in Canton, North Carolina. Hey, Sam, what's on your mind? I have a question. Inquiring minds want to know. You might say, now, Trump and Putin spoke, I believe, twice on the telephone, mm-hmm. and the White House won't tell us what they talked about. Then Trump assassinated Soleimani. My right. question is, did Putin tell Trump to assassinate Soleimani? We know after Helsinki that Trump stood on stage and said he does not trust the American intelligence agencies, but that he does trust Vladimir Putin. So I'm looking at one and putting one and one together and coming up with a huge question mark. Yeah. Because it's, Trump does whatever, what any, any dictator in the world that flatters Trump, he'll do anything they tell him to do. Oh, yeah. The president of Turkey called him up and said, get out of Syria. And he got out of Syria. You know, screw the Kurds. Because yeah. Erdogan yeah, hates I'm, the Kurds. I'm, I'm, I got to ask the question one more time, and then I, that'll be it for me. Did Putin tell Trump to assassinate uh, Soleimani? Right. And did Trump do? Did Trump do that? And the answer to that will be found if we get the readout of those phone conversations that are right now in the most secure vault in the entire United States. And uh, I think that Congress has has the right to know the answer to those questions. Thanks a lot for the call, Sam. Dave in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, Tom. On um, Saturday, they, they said that the selective service system had crashed because of uh, worries of uh, uh, possibly reenacting the, the draft. A little ironic, you know, yeah. with Trump in the draft. But uh, yes. and um, Bone however, spurs are no longer an exception. <laughs> yeah, yeah. However, you know, before that would take place, I believe you would have uh, they would be calling calling back the recently discharged uh, military individuals, right? Because they because you know they sign a contract, right? Once you're in the military, contract. you're never actually legally out. They can always call you back. Well, they got the, on the contract like a, I believe it's like an eight year contract, and like Army, Navy, and that they sign, they'll go three years active, maybe or right. Marines, it's four years active, and then a four and five. Uh, you know what they call the IRR, mm. the Individual Ready Reserve. Right. So they would get called first because, well, they've been trained and everything, and it, it costs quite a bit to train, a, you know, a, a new raw recruit. You right. Know, so. Right. And somebody also said too, like if he did hit those 52 cultural sites, that would totally make the Iranian people, you know, everybody, regardless if they like that guy or not. Oh, you know, the, pull the, together. The support, you know, I think already the support for Khamenei and for Rouhani, and, and Rouhani, I think, is has the potential to be a reformer. Khamenei is, you know, he's a hardcore, you know, right winger uh, through and through. The support for them has been totally cemented, totally solidified. Thank you, Dave. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Harry at Aurora, Colorado. Hey, Harry, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? First of all, I'm originally from New York. I'm living in Colorado now. Hmm. So I've studied Trump, having been in the psychiatry area for many years. And this guy is insane. I mean, 
Yeah, literally totally gone. Literally, he's he he is both a sociopath and a malignant narcissist. And and, oh. and I used to say it looks like, or I think, or you know. But there is such a broad consensus across the spectrum of psychological professionals. We've had psychologists on this program, psychiatrists. I was yeah. once rostered as a psychotherapist. You know, my opinion is at the very bottom of the, <laughs> the pecking order. But the people who are uh, wildly superior to me in that knowledge, people like Justin Frank, you know, professor of psychiatry at, at Georgetown University, no doubt about it. Yeah. He's a sociopath and a malignant narcissist. So where are you going with that? Yeah. Well, I had that, and, and I have two concerns. My biggest concern, right, first of all, I'm having a lot of trouble sleeping. I'm 87 years old, and I was born within a couple of weeks of FDR's initial inauguration as president. Wow. So I have lived under that Democratic leadership, and it was a golden age mm -hmm. from around 1950 to 1980. You could get a job. I mean, it was it was... Well, and then Reagan came in, and he changed the uh, tax code. Even Papa Bush said it was like voodoo. Yep, voodoo you economics, know? yep. So the last thing, and this is the thing that really scares me more than anything else, is if we attack Iran, Trump will declare the War Powers Act, and then I believe we're screwed. Yeah, or he'll declare an emergency. War gives a president even more power, although we've been in continuous war ever since 9-11. But, you know, I think you're right. And, and certainly yeah. it looks like, you know, Trump, you know, obviously John Bolton and, uh, and Mike Pompeo uh, would love to have a war with Iran. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure that the generals in the Pentagon feel the same way. They realize that R Iran is not Iraq. Iran is a, a well, a fully developed country, and they will fight us in, in not only a traditional way, but in an asymmetric way that may trigger World War III. And they're very yeah. concerned about that. And, and I think Trump is getting advice from both sides because he, you know, one day he's like, oh, Iran, terrible, terrible. And then the next day he's like, well, maybe we can talk to them. Maybe we can work with them. And having a guy who is nuts in the White House makes it a lot more difficult for all of us. And I, I agree with you. Greg in Delano, California. Hey, Greg, what's up? Do you remember back when apparently some big mob stormed the White House or surrounded the White House when Nixon was in office and he looked out the window and said something to the effect of they're, they're here to get us? That was Henry Kissinger, I believe, told that story. And okay. uh, Nixon actually had been thinking about nuking Vietnam. He had proposed that to, to Kissinger, if I'm remembering this correctly. And uh, that night, there was this huge demonstration on the wall, and people marched over to the White House, and they surrounded the White House, and, and the, the White House was not insulated like it is now with all these gates and fences and things. And there was just, and Nixon looked out the window, and there was just this ocean of young people. And he decided that he couldn't nuke Vietnam as a consequence of that. That's the story that I remember. And I don't know if that's a true story, Greg, or if it's an apocryphal story, or if Henry Kissinger told the story. It's been a lot of years since I heard it, but that's my recollection. Okay, well, I bring that up because I think it's time. Uh, if you remember Occupy Wall Street about 10 or 11 years ago, maybe it's time to occupy the White House. Maybe it's time for 1% of this population, which would be 3 million people, to do something, to stand up and do something in a large group. And, My suspicion, uh, Greg, is that if Trump is acquitted in the Senate, 
that there will probably be a million people in the streets in Washington, D.C. And I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about like the women's march. Exactly. No, the, non, I, the nonviolent solution is always the one that I go for. And it, matter of fact, I'm, if I may, 30 seconds, I'll read from a nonviolent communication book from Marshall Rosenberg, if you've ever heard of it. And he talks about sharing the sentiments of French novelist and journalist George Bernanos. And he says, I have thought for a long time now that if someday the increasing efficiency for the technique of destruction finally causes our species to disappear from the earth, it will not be cruelty that will be responsible for our extinction, but the docility, the lack of responsibility of the modern man, his base subservient acceptance of every common decree, the horrors that we have seen and still greater, the horrors we shall presently see. Yeah. I, I get it, Greg, and, and you know we, we try to discourage people from reading on the show, but I, you know I get I'm your point, and, and I think that apathy is our greatest enemy. But I I would bet that groups like MoveOn.org and Indivisible and whatnot are organizing right now for uh, the the probability that Trump will be you know let go, that, that he'll win. Very likely. Yeah, yeah. It and, just and, seems to me and like we, we need we, we need to be out in the streets when that happens. Greg, thanks a lot for the call. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155.